In this episode of Uncorrelated Minds, Kevin Kilaki and Adam Packer talk about the unique investment philosophy they have at Sinacera Capital. It comes from behavioral finance, which looks at how your money decisions are influenced by factors including psychology and cultural and social factors. All right, Adam, in our first podcast, we mentioned that Sinacera Capital has a unique investment philosophy that stems from behavioral finance at its core. So today I've, I've brought you on to talk to the listeners of the podcast really about the philosophy, how it shapes our portfolio construction and how we implement that for our clients. Yeah, ex- excited to talk about everything. It's certainly a lot of ground to cover. How about we start with the origins of behavioral finance and specifically prospect theory? I think it's a great story on how it came to shape our, our views on managing clients' portfolios. Yeah, and it really goes back to the early days of my experience in wealth management and having interned during the tech crisis and then worked hand in hand with families, wealthy families through the financial crisis, really just seeing how people react to having losses like that in their portfolio. And ultimately, what was happening where these families were experiencing really the the prospect theory was playing itself out in real time and and prospect theory just to give it a quick summary is it comes from daniel kahneman and amos tversky but really one of his seminal works which is a book called thinking fast and slow goes through all of the different behavioral finance theories but this one is really the anchor ones what they won the nobel prize for in behavioral finance and to sum it up in in one sentence is that human beings feel the pain of a loss twice as much as they feel the pleasure of a gain and what i realized later in my career was that as i was quote unquote coaching families through these large drawdowns in their portfolios trying to not have them pull out at the wrong time and then wait too long to get back in the markets, that I was watching this play out in real time. That the, the behavior of finance wasn't just a technical term here, a squishy subject, that this was actually a very, very much a large factor in, in how families experienced investments and how they really ended up with returns in the portfolio. And I realized that risk to families is not the way we're taught to calculate it just on a pure statistical basis. So we're told, hey, risk is volatility. So it's standard deviation of the portfolio and the portfolios go up and they go down. And your job as a wealth manager is to coach these families through that. And knowing that the human brain isn't wired that way, it's almost an impossible task. And so what we did in developing the portfolios that anchor uh, a large portion of our clients' wealth at Cenocera Capital was to add in the second piece, which is the loss of capital. It's exactly what the prospect theory is describing and how people react to that. And so there's a really famous study, and Adam knows this, Adam, you've seen this before as well, is called the Dalbar study. And they just wrapped up year 20 of this study. And I'm going to do a, a summation of this just for the sake of the podcast. But what they studied was within all of the investors who are investing in equity mutual funds, you know, the ones who should be buying these funds and hopefully getting outperformance is that they actually have an underperformance than if you just held an ETF or a mutual fund that held the whole market for that time. And the underperformance was roughly 200 basis points or 2% a year. And 2% a year on a portfolio that's averaging 7% is a large outperformance over that time period. 
And so ultimately the structure of our portfolios was looking to solve for that behavior gap. It's, and also really look to solve for the prospect theory. Yeah. And, you know, before we really get into portfolio construction for, for us, it's, it starts with building that, that client profile and really understanding what their risk tolerance is before we, we start recommending portfolio weightings for them. But, you know, most people, most investment firms are familiar with a risk tolerance questionnaire. However, we like to call ours a, a loss aversion questionnaire. And the main difference there really boils down to the difference between suitability and fiduciary responsibility. We always like to talk to our clients about defining risk in terms of both willingness and ability. Ability is the basic suitability assessment. And those are the questions you typically see in a risk tolerance questionnaire. Everyone who's opened a brokerage account has had one, has had to fill one out. It asks basic questions like, how old are you? What are your investment objectives? What's your investment time horizon? But that's really the bare minimum that an advisor can do, right? For us, suitability is not enough because we're fiduciaries and we owe our clients an extra level of care and diligence. So we built the loss aversion questionnaire that not only accounts for a client's ability to take risk, but also their willingness to take risk. In building those client profiles, we, we asked situational questions like, when the market's down 20%, what would you do? Or when the market fell in 2008, how did you react? Did you buy? Did you sell? Did you do nothing? I think this allows us to evaluate the comfort level in various situations, particularly in down markets, because at the end of the day, how a client experiences the investment markets is almost as important as the end result. If you're uncomfortable, it's more than likely that you're going to get out of the market and you're never going to generate those returns you need to, to meet, your, meet your needs. So after we, we fill out that loss of vision questionnaire with our clients, we start building out that risk profile. You know, then for us, that, that comes the fun part, portfolio construction. And I think this is where Cenocera Capital really stands out because we don't balance portfolios according to modern portfolio theory. We balance portfolios according to risk, which is based, based on, off of those principles of risk parity. Yeah, and the, the, as Adam said, the underlying portion of the, the portfolio is really first and foremost, understanding you know, the client's ability and willingness to take risk. That's you know, part questionnaire. It's also part conversation. It's part understanding what did you do in 08? And, and how did you react? I, I would say we are fortunate and it's going to sound very odd to say we were fortunate to have COVID hit when it did, but, you know, being a young firm new into our portfolio structures, we had a really unique experience of getting to test the portfolio through an entire market cycle in the shortest period of time that we've ever seen a market cycle. Yeah. Um, whether that was induced by Fed intervention, we can have a different discussion on a different day about that, but we really got to see <laughs> the portfolio have a very quick drop in a very quick recovery, which is, is rare for the size of the drop in recovery that have occurred in the portfolio. And it performed exactly the way we thought it would perform and the way it was constructed. How are they going to make decisions whether to stay invested or not stay invested? And so I knew that ultimately this was the, the problem that, that I was, for which I was solving for our families. And, and someone asked me, why do you do this? And the answer is because it solves the problem. If, if we know that investors feel the pain of a loss twice as much as they feel the pleasure of a gain, then we have to construct a portfolio that has an at least two to one 
upside to downside capture ratio to give a neutral investment experience to have a at least a chance to get them to stay in the portfolios through drawdowns. And so what I did was I went hunting and I'll tell a funny story here and I'll let Adam backfill a part that, that I wasn't a part of, but you know, early on I, I determined this and, and started to construct these portfolios and I'd hired Adam and poor Adam. I just run him through four different interviews over, over <laughs> the better part of a month and a half, just to make sure he was a right fit for, for this role, given where he was going to be very quickly. And so he, he comes on and he hires and walks in, you know, really the first week or two. And I said to him, Hey, Adam, we are, we're going to be a risk parity shop. And this is why. And I basically told him everything that I just told the podcast. And then, and, and Adam gave me the, the look of, Oh, my deer in headlights. What did I get myself into? <laughs> and, and I said, I know what you're thinking. I said, it's different. It's not what most people do. There's a reason I like to be different in, you know, quote unquote, swim against the tide. You'll heard that in some of our, our pieces before. And so I said, Adam, you know, here's what I've read. Here's everything. Go take a week, go beat it up, you know, put, poke as many holes in you can, as you can in this theory and the, and the, how we're going to implement this and then come back to me and tell me what you think. And so long story short, Adam comes back in a week later for the next investment committee meeting and he sits down and he puts the material down the desk and he looks at me and says, okay, I'm in. And uh, what the story that we don't know is that week from when he walked out thinking, am I still going to work here? Or the time he came back in, sat down and, and committed to being a part of this long-term. Yeah. So it's an interesting story, but pretty early on in my career, the very first risk parity or what was more commonly known at the time as risk balance mutual funds started appearing. I think the the first mutual fund that was doing risk parity or a version of risk parity was around 2010. So for anyone unfamiliar with the concept of risk parity or, or had a limited understanding of it, as I did at the time, it's, it's very easy to become a deer in headlights, like it was when Kevin told me that that's the strategy he was building. But many of those risk balance funds at the time really weren't risk parity. And as many critics like to say, they were quote unquote, leveraged bond portfolios. So whether as the products being offered at the time or, or my limited understanding of the strategy, fast forward 10 years and when Kevin approached me, I definitely wasn't a believer in it. But in addition to reading up on Ray Dalio and his version of the all-weather portfolio, Kevin also gave me a copy of Ed Shin's book called Risk Parity Fundamentals. For those of you who don't know Ed Shin, he's, he's the CIO of Panagora, which is an alternative asset manager. But fun fact, he was actually the one who coined the term risk parity. I don't want to get too much in the weeds about his research. His, his book is fascinating, but it's also very long and very technical, but it, it really made me understand the efficacy of risk parity. I know on our next podcast, we're going to be talking about how we implement our strategy and kind of looking under the hood. So I'm sure Ed Shin's going to come up again next week. So even though I'm a believer now, many prospects and clients that we have also need convincing. And we're asked all the time, why are we balancing risk as opposed to balancing asset allocation? Yeah, that's probably the main question. And yeah. I would say the, the, the reason goes back to what I said earlier is because it solves the problem. That's the first part of it. You know, the, the second part of it was, you know, recently someone asked me, Kevin, what, if you were to tell me what the profile of the perfect investment look like, what would it be? Well, the answer is it would be low cost, tax efficient, fully liquid, and it would be all upside and no downside. 
And so we can kind of sit back and laugh about that because we know there's no investment that has risk in it that has all upside and no downside because it doesn't exist because risk and return are Sorry, related. We didn't quite figure that one out yet. So we're, we're working on it. We're working on it. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll let the audience know if, if we find that investment, but yep. I have the feeling it's, you know, the Easter bunny took it to Shangri-La. <laughs> so who knows where that thing is, but ultimately it was because we knew we had to overcome that one to two ratio. And we also, I would say the second piece to that is the ultimate outcome. So a client asked me, says, you know, if I invest in this, what do I get? And it's, I get low cost. Well, that's not, I mean, that's, that's a factor of it. That's not necessarily what you're providing. And so at the end of the day, when we run through the metrics and we look at the numbers, and if someone were, were to ask us, how do you convince someone that this is the way to go when it comes to asset allocation? And the answer would be that we, we show them the numbers, we show them the actual outcome from it. And more so, we show them in the context of them. It goes back to the old adage, what's in it for me? And so, yes, it has less drawdown in drawdown markets. So in May, you know, beginning of May to the end of May, when the, the balance, typical balance portfolio was down 15 or 16% at the end of the month, we were down two and a half. And by May 6th, or sorry, by April 6th, we were back in the black and everyone was still chasing. And so from that standpoint, yes, the drawdown is, is something you get, but it's not the actual really valuable part. When you go in and you start looking at the figures of perpetual withdrawal rates is where you really see the value of the portfolio. And what happens over a long period of time, you know, because these are asset allocation models that are designed to manage, preserve wealth and grow wealth, you have to look at them on a long, long time period it produces somewhere between 30 to 50% more income for a family. So if you go back to our core tenants that are on our website and they're woven into everything we talk about, all of our materials that we, we show our clients and how we interface, you'll see them. They're called clarity, confidence, and purpose. And ultimately purpose is not to be confused with ESG or you know, and, you know, carbon neutral investing or reducing plastics in the ocean, things of that nature, but it's the purpose of the dollar for the family. So we think of this core portfolio is our job with this bucket of wealth, what we have been tasked to do for our families is to ensure that those funds are available to produce income at the point in time that the family needs income at the highest level with the highest degree of confidence. And when you run the numbers, you see the increased perpetual withdrawal rate. That's almost unbelievable, but believable if you understand the structure. And then you run the simulations of the success rates. So if people are familiar with statistics, they may hear the term Monte Carlo simulation. That's the underlying statistical engine that actually runs those. And you see the outcomes are considerably higher. Even after taxes and fees, they're considerably higher than your traditional quote unquote diversified 60-40 portfolios, which is really the beast that we're tackling with this strategy. Yeah, I think purpose, uh, investing with a purpose is really key. Everything ultimately boils down to building a portfolio that achieves a purpose. Every investment decision or recommendation that Kevin, Connie, and I make as part of the investment committee at Cinecera is driven by purpose. And 
ultimately we are building portfolios that, as Kevin mentioned, is trying to generate that income at a certain date with the highest level of confidence. So essentially making sure that our clients are confident that they can achieve the purposes that they have hired us to do. It's really, you know, I like to view it, the difference between an asset manager and a wealth manager. We're really, we're really building portfolios specifically for clients and their individual goals and objectives. Yeah. And say, because of that too, a question, another question we often get asked is, well, do, does everyone who invests with you, do they put all of their wealth in the all weather portfolio? And, uh, you know, Adam's over here and he's nodding at me. He's like, nope, not, not at all. Not the way it goes. And so, you know, maybe as a discussion for a future podcast, we'll talk about the fact that in order to achieve those efficacy levels that are very high, it's not just the all weather core that sits in the middle. It is, how are you preserving capital that is to be spent? And let me rephrase that, not necessarily prefer, how are you preserving the wealth that is to be spent in the next five years? And then how are you investing in assets that are very long-term for the family, 15 years plus for the family? And so we developed additional portfolios that surround the core portfolio. Again, because the statistics lead us to invest that way, and because we know that if the core is in place and then the short-term portfolio is in place, that they are far more likely to stick with their long-term investments through bouts of volatility in the market. Yeah, definitely not a, a one-size-fits-all shop here. So excited to talk about that on our next podcast and looking under the hood, as I said, of the all-weather and also discussing those other strategies that we use as a overlay to, to that core portfolio. Yeah. Well, Adam, thanks for, thanks for joining on the podcast today for our audience. You will certainly hear much more from Adam in the future as we talk about uh, a number of different things we do. One thing he does for the firm that many people know who are close to us is that he oversees all of our due diligence for our direct and private investment piece as well. That is a large part of our family's wealth and uh, certainly something that is not only not ignored by us, like many of our, our peers in the wealth management industry, but we bring it to the forefront, help clients evaluate those things and report on them at the both the fund and the family level. So look forward to talking more about that. Adam, thanks for coming on. And uh, everyone, we will look forward to seeing you during the next podcast episode. And Kevin, just before we end here, how can listeners reach you if they have questions and want to learn more? Absolutely. The best way to reach us is through the website to gain all the information. That's sinaceracapital.com, S-I-N-E-C-E-R-A capital.com. We've got great blog post material. Adam does a lot of writing there for us on the investment side. Connie Sullivan, head of our family office services, also posts a lot on her family office services side there. Uh, and then as always, info at cenaceracapital.com. That will actually hit all three of the partners inboxes at one time, a little known secret that's no longer a secret because it's on the podcast. <laughs> yep. Kevin Kilaki and Adam Packer, thank you. To make sure you get the latest episode of Uncorrelated Minds, subscribe to the podcast we also would love it if you shared it and liked it. Cenacera Capital LLC is a registered investment advisor. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where Cenacera and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. 
The information provided is for educational and informational purposes only and does not constitute investment advice and it should not be relied on as such. It should not be considered a solicitation to buy or an offer to sell a security. It does not take into account any investor's particular investment objectives, strategies, tax status, or investment horizon. You should consult your attorney or tax advisor. No investment strategy or risk management technique can guarantee returns or eliminate risk in any market environment. All investments include a risk of loss that clients should be prepared to bear. The principal risks of Cenocera strategies are disclosed in the publicly available Form ADV Part 2A. Asset allocation may be used in an effort to manage risk and enhance returns. It does not, however, guarantee a profit or protect against loss.